This episode is brought to you by Verity. Verity just launched their brand new student information system called Verity Student. Verity Student is everything you wish you had in your student information system and then some. Verity Student combines top-notch, unparalleled compliance and efficiency-boosting processes with the best communication features built into one single platform. Verity Student streamlines academic tracking, document management with an electronic signature, and a built-in powerful contact center with multi-channel communication. The unfortunate complications that human errors prevent are virtually eliminated with their improved process workflow automation that paves the way for data and reporting that you can actually count on. It's the most efficient recruiting, enrollment, and retention process that you have ever seen. Get more than you have with less strain on your budget with Verity Student. Experience the cost efficiencies that their all-inclusive tool provides compared to other, more expensive tools with less functionality. The unified pricing includes a multi-channel communication hub at a fraction of the amount that you'd pay for multiple systems. Say goodbye to inefficiency. Say goodbye to disjointed communications. Say goodbye to Excel when you say hello to Verity Student. At Verity, they only know one direction and one speed. Always forward and always fast. Harness the power of one with Verity Student. Request a behind-the-scenes look at their new student information system, Verity Student, at meetverity.com. Again, that's meetverity.com. All right, we are live. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Enrollify podcast. I am Zach, your host, and today I am joined by two awesome guests, people that I admire and have followed for a while. Actually, both of them have also been on on the podcast uh, uh, earlier. I guess it wasn't earlier this year, but I think both of you guys were late 2020. Um, so uh, excited to have them back on, and these folks are none other than Will Patch and Jeremy Tears. Why don't you guys say hi? Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us back. It's the two time club. <laughs> the two time club. Also, just uh, for, for our listeners, both of them like waved in the video, um, and <laughs> as opposed to saying hi, which which is great. Um, but uh, you know, Will Patch is from Niche, and Jeremy Tears is from Tutor Collegiate Strategies, and both of them will introduce themselves in just a second for those of you who might not be familiar with them or their companies. But guys, before we do so, I like to start these podcasts with just a random question. Um, and the question that I've sort of, uh, put together for us today is around meetings. So I know we actually just were offline. We we're talking about how full our calendars seem to be these days with meetings. So I'm curious, and this is a selfish question because I'm trying to figure out how to optimize meetings, how to encourage my team to be more efficient and effective with meetings. So thinking about your meetings over the last week, what was the best meeting that you were a part of? And what do you think? made that meeting such a success and we can start with you will and then and then bounce on over to to jeremy yeah and this is something that i've i've experienced a an uptick in the quality of meetings since the two years i've been here at niche as opposed to in higher ed i don't know if that's just people are are you know it, it's a different type of personality or what but uh trying to think over the past week here um I, I'm I'm really thankful. I've got a lot of people who know how to run an efficient meeting. You know, we have a short agenda. If it if it takes ten minutes, it takes ten minutes. We don't have to take hour long meetings. Um, 
one of our designers, Kendra, led, led a training on some new, um, we're just completely overhauling part of the web ecosystem. And so it was just this training on, here's how we use the new blocks. Here's the, like walking through the brand guidelines of how to use them, when you use them, color schemes, all that. It was just so well organized. There was a clear goal. We stuck to it. We just went through. It wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't go off on 20 tangents uh, as, as you tend to. Um, I like that she had it all planned out in advance. We walked through examples of here is a pre-built page with issues in it. Mm. If you see this, here's how you fix it. Here's how you add a new block. Here's how you do this. Uh, it was essentially set up like a class. And it we walked through, we saw the examples. As we talked, we got to see it and show it and do it. Uh, and then followed up with documentation and the guidelines. Loved it. And to me, that's the ideal meeting is we go through it quickly, efficiently, follow up with documentation. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. What about you, Jeremy? Yeah, as I was just sharing with both of you, you know, before we jumped on to start the podcast, the last two days I've spent virtually working with a college in Georgia doing some staff training. And, you know, as I was sharing, the second day I do staff trainings virtually or in person with admissions teams, I meet one-on-one -on -one with the entire admissions and enrollment, usually people from a marketing communications as well. And, you know, for me, what I have found makes those meetings go so well. And just for context for the listeners, 15, 20 minutes max is what those meetings are. Because as I was sharing with you, I did 17 back to back to back, you know, all in a row to fit them in yesterday. And I think so many people come into meetings and don't give context around like, what are we trying to do with this meeting? Other than just having a meeting, like, what are we actually trying to get out of it? What am I hoping you're going to get out of it if I'm the one organizing the meeting? I find that when I give context around, okay, the staff training was put together. Your boss told me we're going to talk to this guy, Jeremy Tears, for the next two days. Oh, and by the way, you're going to meet with him one-on-one -on -one for 15 minutes. People are like, what? what? What's going on here? I make sure that I clearly lay out, here's why we do one-on-one -on -one meetings. Here's what I'm hoping you're going to get out of it. So I think giving more context ahead of meetings and much to Will's point, I tell people the same thing. Hey, if we talk for 10 minutes and that's it, I'm not going to keep you for the other five or 10 minutes. Like I'll let you go. We'll move on. But I think it's super important. And a lot of times it's like, Hey, you know, very general Zach, I need to talk with you about, you know, X let's have a meeting to do that. And then we kind of sit there and, you know, the first 10 minutes, we just don't really do anything. And there's no like real clear, what are we doing with this meeting? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And so I just know I find it very, very helpful for the people I work with. And then I think admissions leaders tell me they find the same thing when there's a lot more context, when meetings are set up around what we're trying to accomplish in the meeting. Yeah, I love that, that idea that both of you guys are hitting on of a sort of like pre-context download, whether that's in, you know, email or, or even over, over Slack of, Hey, here's what this meeting is about. Here's our objectives. Here's what we're trying to do. Even if it's a, you know, two, three bullet point, like agenda, and then having, as you were, as you were mentioning, Will sort of like a follow-up after the meeting. Okay. This is what we talked about. These are the decisions that we've made. Here's how we're moving the ball forward. And I think that it's such a simple formula and I feel like, yeah, it's still so hard to follow at least for, at least for most, most of us. So appreciate those insights. Um, and before we go any further, Will, can you just uh, start by sharing a little bit about who you are and and what niche is for those who might not be familiar? And then Jeremy, you go ahead and do the same for for TCS uh, after after Will finishes up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Will Patch. I'm enrollment marketing leader here at Niche. I've been here now and 
a week and a half. I think it'll be two years, uh, which has flown by. Uh, before that, spent nine years at Manchester University working in recruiting uh, into operations, so managing CRM, all the enrollment marketing and, and the, the fun world of all the behind the scenes things, uh, and then moved into digital strategy uh, because throughout that time, I was also running social media, uh, doing our digital ads. And so taking all that on, doing dashboarding, reporting, uh, all, the, all the fun analytical work. Uh, so, you know, that, my, my background is very heavily in the data driven, which I think we'll talk about a lot with the research today. Uh, the, as far as niche, uh, if you're unfamiliar, niche is the largest platform uh, for school and college search. So we work with, uh, we have profiles for every preschool through grad school. Uh, students and parents go on, they research, they build their lists, uh, they apply, they set up visits, they can really kind of do that side of the house of finding the right fit for them um, on, on the platform. Uh, we have one, two uh, high school, college-bound high school seniors who have registered and, and built out their profile and do all that. Um, that's a great number. And I think one of the things that, that really helps kind of set that apart is that it's an opt-in system hmm. that the students say, you know, I want to hear from the colleges on my list or I want to hear from colleges like them because if you're like me and you grow up in a rural area, you know, you don't, you'll have maybe two colleges that come and visit your high school. So you want to see what else is out there that you don't really know about. Uh, or they could say, you know, I just want to build my list and I, I don't really want them to contact me right now. I'll apply, I'll inquire, I'll do all that on my own. Um, we offer inquiries, prospecting solutions, market intelligence, digital marketing, sort of the full realm of finding the right students. Awesome. Jeremy, you're up. I'm, my name is Jeremy Tears, and as Zach said, I'm the Director of Admission Services for Tutor Collegiate Strategies, and this fall it'll be eight years for me. In terms of what we do, we do two big things, basically. You know, you, you've obviously heard me mention staff training. Typically, I will work or our team will work with an admission staff, either in person or virtually. Everything from a couple of hours to a couple of days uh, around comprehensive staff training, just how do you communicate? more effectively in all the different mediums you use as a college or university with prospective students and parents. And we talk about just how you get conversations going, how you keep them going, you know, how you overcome objections, just everything that admissions staffs and marketers as well have to deal with in a typical cycle. We talk about best practices. We do a lot of survey research with students ahead of the training at the school that I will be working with. We talk about that data and how it compares to national data from, for example, the surveys that Will and I have partnered on in our companies the last you know, couple of years. And so it really drives home kind of you know, best practices basically for admissions teams and enrollment marketers around, this is what your target audience wants. Are you giving it to them? And if mm -hmm. you're not, why aren't you? Let's talk about that and let's talk about what you can do to be more student-centered you know, in all of your outreach and, and events and communication. So we do that. And then the other big thing, you know, that ties in with that, that we do is we help colleges and universities with their enrollment marketing and communications. And so we have a handful of colleges and universities across the country where we actually write the prospect inquiry app, admit committed student flows that they will send prospective students as well as parent flows. Uh, as a way to not only differentiate them, but we follow so much of the data from the survey research. And what we found it does is it leads to greater conversations, way higher levels of engagement, open rates, all of that type stuff. 
and it allows then the admissions counselors to really understand, I'm talking to students now who I know have genuine interest or at least wanna learn more about my school versus I don't know if I'm sending this email to this student who has no idea where our college is located or like why they're even getting it from us. And so we do those two things and we have a whole separate division of our company, Tutor Collegiate Strategies, that does the same thing, but different with college coaches and athletic departments. And that's how my, you know, our CEO, Dan Tudor started the business was for the last 15, 16 years, they've been doing the same but different with staff training and communication work uh, with college coaches and athletic departments from you know Division One, Big Ten, SEC, all the way down to small private colleges like Manchester, like Will mentioned. And so I've been running the admissions division, which didn't exist for the last eight years. And uh, here we are today. Well, thank you both for, for those intros. Super helpful for our listeners just to understand who you guys are and why you're qualified to speak about the things that we're going to be speaking about today. Um, and I really want I wanted to bring you both on the show because you guys just teamed up a couple weeks ago and gave a webinar um, on a recent survey that you guys did to college juniors. And I want to unpack some of the insights that that survey offered and really get your, your all sort of take on some of the most important takeaways from this from this exercise. So Jeremy, can you just help us understand the impetus for the survey? How did it come about? Why college juniors? And what specific insights were you hoping to sort of glean from this project? Yeah, you know, Will and I have known each other for a handful of years now through you know, the hashtag EM chat community. If you're on Twitter, you know, pump that up a little bit. Great spot to meet other admissions and enrollment professionals. And, you know, when Will moved to Nish a couple of years ago, I reached out to him and we got to talking about a number of things. And I said, listen, I know you're data driven and I know how important data is with, you know, the work we do as well with our schools. Like, let's talk about partnering and doing something together. And, you know, we just started talking about different kinds of survey research that we could do. And, and so for the last couple of years, you know, we've done some partner surveys and they've gone, you know, I think significantly well in terms of not just the data we're able to glean from students about how they're navigating their college search, you know, their pain points, what the recommendations are that they would give colleges and universities. But I know for me, and I'm sure Will can agree, it allows us to serve the schools we work with better you know, when we can relate to all of this data and show them this is what your target audience, not just told us 10 students in a small focus group, here are tens of thousands and not just once, but multiple groups over time. And these are the trends that we're seeing. And so I know Will and I, when we talked about the junior survey, wanted to see, okay, are we going to see similar things as we're kind of hopefully going back to whatever the, you know, normal is going to be again, as we get out of this pandemic is it going to be like the senior survey we did last fall? And are we going to hear rising seniors, you know, juniors who are finishing up their junior year in high school telling us, Hey, this is what we're kind of struggling with right now, or here's what we're seeing. And here's what our preferences are when it comes to in-person or virtual, or here's what we think about standardized testing. And so we were just trying to glean, are they navigating it? Rising seniors completely different than the class just did before them. Or are there new things that are getting introduced? And just, again, what are those pain points that then Will and I can offer feedback and tips to admissions and enrollment marketing professionals around how they can proceed forward? So 
And could you just talk a little bit about sort of the the actual design of the survey? Like how many, roughly how many questions, uh, how many folks sort of uh, were a part, uh, were survey recipients or, uh, you know, received sort of the, the email invite to complete the survey? Just a little bit of uh, more context around how the survey was actually crafted. So I'll give you part of it and then I'll turn it over to Will for the other part that I can't remember, but I know I'm <laughs> sure he can. In terms of respondents, I know we had just over 7,100. I think it was maybe 7,129 exactly that actually completed the survey. Most of the questions, you know, were multiple choice type questions, but there were three or four that were very open-ended where we asked for context. And, you know, I went through uh, a excuse me, Excel spreadsheet that Will sent me with probably almost 20,000 open-ended responses to three questions, right? In addition to, you know, Will and I going through all the other data together. And so I think, Will, how many questions? Roughly 30 or am I off? Yeah, I, I would guess in the 30 to 40 range. Um, I'd have to, have to go back and look exactly. Yeah. So we basically, you know, partnered, put the questions together and Will and the team at Niche then, you know, executed it. And I'll, I'll turn it over to him here in a second. He can explain more about demographics and everything in terms of, you know, how the survey was executed. But again, it was sent to students all across the country who, again, are rising seniors who will graduate uh, from high school this coming spring, aka a year from now. Fantastic. Yeah. And Will, yeah, talk to us a little, a little bit more about sort of who responded to this survey and you know, uh, I don't know if you guys segmented the survey at all, but any anything else you might be able to help us understand about uh, who the survey was targeted to beyond high school juniors, a little bit breaking that down a little bit, and um, some of the different folks that responded, and whether or not you were surprised by any of the respondent groups. Yeah. So, and Jeremy, you're right on seven thousand one hundred twenty-nine uh, clean That's responses. That's impressive. That's impressive. Well done. Well done. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was that was completed clean responses. We if there's someone accidentally submits a duplicate, you remove that, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, so these are, they, they had to be part of class of 2022 in order to be, uh, to qualify. Uh, we had some some qualification statements in there. Um, but yeah, they, this was both emailed out to registered users on Niche and then posted on the site as well. Uh, so there's a couple different entry points for that. Um, I was surprised. I mean, it, it was very evenly split split among income quintiles. It was almost a perfect hmm. 2020-2020. Uh, I mean, I, I love seeing that. Uh, I, don't, I don't like it when you start seeing these heavily weighted one direction or another or anything like that. So we're good there. Uh, on the, If you actually go to the survey results, I'm sure you'll, you'll link to that in the show notes. Um, I, I have a lot of interactive data visuals in there that you can segment down by state, race, ethnicity, income quintile, type of school, uh, country for their national students. So you have you have a lot of options to do some segmentation in there. Um, we had 85% attending public high schools, so right in line with the actual US population. Uh, it, it was a little more diverse than what you typically see for a college grade population. Two thirds were not Caucasian or white. Um, so that's great that we get some diversity in there. It's not one of these that's 90% white suburban students. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the neat things that actually came out of it, um, we were looking at the data and, and saw four personas kind of emerge that we mm. had these clusters in terms of who are these students? What are they experiencing? Uh, and so one of the things we put together a secondary post of who are these students? You know, we have some, some cards kind of outlining who are they, what are they looking for? So are these representative quotes? Um, it's one of those where you you 
don't typically think of these distinct groups, in my mind at least, um, calling out, okay, these students are, are tending to behave this way. I think that's something that could be interesting in doing some testing and finding out, can we have some messaging specifically speaking to them? Uh, so we had the optimists come out. Mm. These are students who record very high confidence. You know, everything's looking great. You know, I, my college search is awesome. Next year is going to be great for me. Uh, they feel more comfortable going away from home as well. That was one of the things we saw in general with the senior survey in the fall. Very interested in staying within 30 minutes of home, which makes sense. I mean, if you're looking in the fall, they're still mostly cooped up at home. You don't know at that point what the, what the following fall is going to look like. Here we are in spring. Things are looking better. We've got more vaccine eligibility. You know, that's something that this, the, their fall, so a year and a half from then, things are going to be hopefully pretty normal for them. Uh, there were the prepped students. These are ones who said that they feel very prepared for college. You know, I don't need a lot of help. Things are looking good for me. Uh, they were the ones who were mostly starting their college search early. Mm. Uh, a surprising number of them said they started it in their freshman, sophomore year of high school. That to me seems one way too early, but uh, you know, if, if you want to start thinking about that early before you even know what you want to study, sure. Great. Uh, you know, they were very interested in virtual events as well. These were the students who necessarily didn't say, I have to be on campus. They want those virtual experiences and probably will continue. You know, if they're feeling very prepared, you know, what's to stop them from saying, you know, I'll just attend a few virtual, I'm here in Indiana, uh, you know, I'll attend a USC virtual event. Mm. You know, I don't need to hop on a plane and fly to LA. Uh, they were also the most likely to only apply to colleges that they already know. So these aren't the ones that are going to be as easy to convert. You know, if you're, if you're trying to gain that interest senior year, probably not going to do it. You know, they know a set list of schools, either by reputation, by athletics, things like that. That's where they're going to apply. Through the stress students um, who they have low confidence, they're most interested in seeing current students in outreach. They want to see students like them to feel more comfortable. Um, there's an interesting sort of chicken and the egg situation where they were also the least likely to start their college search early. Huh. I'm curious, are they stressed because they didn't start early? Are they feeling stressed? And so it's sort of that, uh, you know, analysis paralysis. I, I don't know what to start on. I don't know what to do. Um, the, the quote that came up a lot there is they really wanted that guidance from their counselors. Mm. They want college counselors or school counselors to help them a lot more. And, and that makes sense. If you're really stressed, you want that guiding hand. Uh, and then there were the concerned students. They were the ones who said that they aren't sure that college is a good investment for them. They feel very concerned about their future. Uh, they were the most likely to rule out due to cost. Over half of them said they would not consider a school whose list price was over 30000 mm. uh, So, you know, especially if you're on the East or West Coast, that rules out a lot of schools. Uh, here in the Midwest, that's not so much of an issue, but, you know, uh, they were also the least likely to submit test scores. These were the kids who, who said, you know, I don't know that I want to take standardized tests and submit that. I don't know that college is a good fit. They're going to take some convincing. You know, that's that's an interesting group. And, and they did differ from the stress students. You know, you might think concerned, stressed, pretty much the same type of thing, but not for them. So we've got the, if I, if I uh, heard you and remember this correctly, the optimists, the prepped, the stressed, and the concerned. Those are the four groups. Yep. And yep. roughly, 
how how did how did it shake out in terms of percentages of of students that fell into mm -hmm. each of these groups? Just drop. I'd have to go back. And okay. Look okay. At yeah. Yeah. I don't have that handy in front. No worries. Sorry. No worries. No worries. <laughs> we'll we'll follow up on that one. Um, yeah. Well, that's... I, I know we want we want one hundred percent an optimist, but unfortunately, that's not the world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If only, the, uh, yeah, or or maybe you know between the optimist and the prepped, uh, if it was yeah. a nice fifty fifty split, that would be great. Uh, if only, <laughs> that's super super interesting. So, um, uh, I wanna I wanna jump to Jeremy and then I wanna come back to you, Will. But Jeremy, so from these from these findings, right? What was what was most interesting to you? I'm sure you guys again have uh, a ton of data. You're probably still sort of like mining through it. There's probably you know insights that have yet to be garnered that that exist in in this data but like from your perspective when you saw the results come in what are what are sort of like the things top of mind you think are most interesting and or just most helpful for people that are are working in admissions or marketing in higher ed yeah no for me it was three things zach and and these are helpful from a standpoint of the first thing you have to do anytime you start recruiting a new class is just understand the mindset as best you can right of these students and families and Obviously, during a pandemic, you know, that throws another whole monkey wrench into this mindset to see, okay, well, how are they adjusting or not adjusting? And so, you know, for me, in no particular order, Zach, a couple of things really stuck out. The first thing was just how many students are actively doing research. Hmm. You know, the, da the data showed not only do we have 93% of those 7,100 plus who tell us they're already doing research, Right. So only 7% of respondents in the survey said, like, yeah, I haven't even started my college search yet. 68% of them were actively doing research. And another 25% said, this is April of my junior year. And I've already narrowed down my list. Hmm. And why that's surprising is because I think during the pandemic, without visits, you know, a lot of places. Now, let me give some context for your listeners quick. East Coast, West Coast. A little bit different in terms of what they've been able to do but where will and i live ironically both in the state of indiana midwest schools have been doing visits since last fall even if they've been one-on-one -on -one, socially distanced masked up and all of that and so but i think knowing that a lot of schools either had to cut back all of their virtual excuse me cut back all of their in-person visits and do completely virtual i expected when you combine that with hybrid learning at the high school level where you're not getting to see teachers high school counselors and such as much not that many students would be that much farther ahead in their search before even the end of their junior year. So that, that was definitely surprising. And then, you know, the two other things for me, the personalization piece, I continue to tell admissions market marketers as well. It's the number one thing students want more of during this process. I truly believe that, hmm. you know, the senior survey that, that Will and, and Nish and, and, and our company did last fall, you know, with, you know, tens of thousands of students, at that time, only 8% of students said what they were getting from colleges and universities felt very personal. The junior survey that we're talking about today, that number's up to 16, but you do the math, right? That's still 84% of students saying like, it pretty much all looks and sounds the same or kind of feels a little personal, but not really that much. And so I think there's still a huge disconnect between what higher education thinks is personalization in 2021 and what their target audience perceives as personalization. And you know, that's a huge opportunity, you know, is the way I would describe it as well. And, and the last thing real quick is, is the standardized testing component. With so many schools having gone test optional and test blind in the last 12 months, what really surprised me, and this is where the, you know, the qualitative and quantitative data is super helpful because it, it gives you the answer. 
most students said, all right, all these colleges went test optional or test blind. That's great. You're telling us that. But 75% of students said, like, I'm still basically, right? You can tell me your test optional, but I think it's going to be harder for me to get into your college if I do not take the test and submit mm. my test scores to the point where, and this is really a staggering numbers act, 96% of these rising seniors said, I plan to submit test scores or take them and then submit them to pretty much some or all of the colleges that I ultimately apply to this fall, regardless of whether they're test optional or not. And I think the disconnect here, as I look at the data is, colleges all say they're test optional, but you have students going, okay, you say that, but then how are you gonna make an admissions decision about how I'm gonna get into your school? And I don't think most colleges have done a very good job of explaining how they're gonna evaluate applications. And so I think students default to, well, if I do well on this test, that's got to give me an advantage over other students when they're looking at my application. Well, that is a staggering uh, stat. 96% still plan to take and or submit uh, their test scores. Wow. Yeah. And and I think that that, um, yeah, that, that's super, super interesting. Do you think, have you guys seen, have either of you seen examples of colleges or uh, universities doing a good job of explaining, hey, here's what this actually means. And here's how we are going to go about making these admissions decisions. Yeah, we've been trying to help our clients, you know, with some very targeted messaging, especially, or, you know, quite honestly, I share this in my weekly newsletter that I send out as well. And just, you know, in the conversations I'm having with admissions leaders, you've got to in a personalized way, Zach, in your messaging, explain, okay, you're seeing as you're talking to a student, all these colleges sending you information saying we're test optional. And you're probably wondering, okay, well, then how are you going to evaluate my application? It's about offering tips and suggestions on how you can make your college application stand out, right? It's letting them know, yes, we're going to look at your, for example, grade point average and the classes you've taken during high school. But you know what? And again, I'm making up stuff that a lot of schools will, you know, obviously utilize as, as metrics. We're going to look at letters of recommendation from teachers or counselors. We're going to look potentially at an essay if we require one. We're going to look at what you've done outside of class in your spare time, whether it's clubs, organizations, community. You just have to explain as best you can, like, here are the ways that we're going to not only evaluate your application, but if you've done a lot of these things or if you haven't, but you have the opportunity to in the next 12 months, these would be things that would help you because we evaluate applications, for example, holistically. But then also you got to explain what holistically means to a 17-year-old, aka we look at the entire body of work and not just, for example, your grades. And so you have to almost, you know, just get on a one-on-one level as much as you're willing to share from a college and say, these are things that are important to us as we make admissions decisions. And so here's what you can do to give yourself the strongest case. What's, what's super interesting about this is it it seems then that like, like if colleges and universities are going to stand behind test optional and mean it, right? And if only 4% of students plan on not submitting their, not, you know, taking and or submitting uh, their test scores, it almost seems like there's an advantage for those 4% of, of students, right? Because if schools are going to stand behind this, right? In theory, they, they need to accept students who did not take standardized tests, right? So uh, obviously, it's a big risk, uh, as, as your survey highlights for the individual. But looking at it sort of in the aggregate, I'd want to go to the 4% and say like, hey, you know, maybe you actually do have a better chance than some other folks to get into the, your institution of choice, because 
they are saying they're test optional if they really are. And the percentage of students of, of their app pool that are taking tests is, is that slim. Your odds are pretty good. Um, so anyways, we'll, we'll see. Will, what about, what, what, what about you? What, what was like most interesting? Uh, again, Jeremy highlighted three very interesting things already, but just anything you want to add to that or additional insights that uh, either surprised you or that you think are especially helpful for folks to, to take away? Yeah. You know, I think the one of the big ones that, that Jeremy hadn't touched on yet, uh, we keep seeing this in our senior surveys. Uh, we're currently running the, the sixth year of this benchmarking. Over time, more and more students say that they are ruling out uh, colleges based on that published cost. Uh, last year was the first year that every income quintile of seniors did. Mm. Uh, so even the students in the top 20% of households ruled out Colleges did not even consider or apply to them based on the published cost. Uh, for the junior class, 60% said that they were eliminating colleges based on that sticker price. Uh, I mean, we keep seeing reports of discounting going up and, and people talk about their great scholarships and all this, but if you can't get them to consider you and apply in the first place, you know, what's, what's the point of giving a lot of scholarships? You know, if they see a $40,000 price tag and they're living with a single parent making 20,000 a year, you know, it doesn't matter that you might give them 30,000 in scholarships. They see 40,000. That's more than my mom makes in a year. My dad makes in a year. Why would I even consider inquiring or applying there? Mm. Why would I even get my heart set on that? Uh, almost a third of students said that they would not even consider a college with a sticker price over 30,000. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about with that persona that, half of them said that they would not consider over 30. Uh, we get to the majority of all students when we hit the $40,000 mark. You know, that's something that that sticker price matters to students. You know, regardless of the net price cal calculator, regardless of scholarships, regardless of how generous you are and, and this great return on investment, we know that education is the best investment you can make. It has the highest return on investment. I mean, if you go out and you spend the same amount of money I mean, the average student has a, a final debt because we always talk about debt. The average student debt is $26,000. Uh, if you spent $26,000 on a car, you're guaranteed to lose money. You know, <laughs> why not invest that in yourself instead? Yeah. Um, so that, that's something that it's, it's hard to fix too because if you try a tuition reset, that can be difficult too. That can cause all sorts of problems. You know, how do you bring down that sticker price without people saying, well, what's going on? Are you, you know, are you, are you less, is the quality less? You know, we've been so, we've been so trained that cost equals quality. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, if you, if you know nothing about them and you look at a Kia and a Mercedes, which is, are you going to assume is the higher quality? Of course I mean, the Mercedes. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're trained to think, I mean, if you, if you offer, there've been some interesting experiments you know, if you, if you take a, uh, a $5 bottle of wine and you say that's $50, people will tell you that it tastes better. It's the same wine. <laughs> uh, it's that same idea of if, you're, if your net cost is 20000 and you have a sticker price of 40000 if you drop that price to 20000 and eliminate scholarships, you're going to struggle. Okay, how do, we, how do we get people to see it's the same thing? it's hard to do and, and no one wants to be the first one to do it because it can be really challenging. 
Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to keep watching. Uh, the other one, just, just what Jeremy said, the biggest one to me to focus on is that 75% of students saying that they don't believe they will have as good of a chance to get in to a college if they do not submit test scores, even if it's test optional, test blind. I think that comes down a lot to a lot of misinformation out there. Either people don't understand what it means, you know, they don't, they're being told, uh, you know, we did a survey of independent college counselors uh, and they're telling their students, even if it's test optional, still submit your scores. Mm. That's not what test optional means. There's a lot of schools doing a good job. Uh, I think WPI does a great job. We, we actually, uh, I hosted a, a panel a year ago uh, of four schools doing a great job messaging it. And they still get pushback every day from parents and counselors saying, well, you say you don't take test scores, but if we submit them, we'll still have a better chance. No, that's not what it means. It's right here. They have, they have pages dedicated. They have outreach dedicated to saying, it does not matter if you submit this. If you want to submit, sure, you can. But we're not going to look at it. For the schools who even use it, most schools, it's a tiny piece of consideration. Test scores have never been predictive. You know, what they will tell you is household income, things like that. But a test score is not going to be predictive of college success. Uh, I mean, even, even College Board's own data shows that it's not better than, than your GPA and what classes you're taking. Uh, it's something that, that's interesting to me that, you know, you have a lot of people who are very either set in their ways and, and they're the old school, you have to take it as part of that rite of passage, uh, or they're just flat out telling students something that's not true. Um, there's the, there's the, the, the uh, editorials that you're seeing written by paid advocates for the tests uh, who are going out saying that it's the best way that you can get. Um, there's now attacks on, on essays. Essays were always problematic. Uh, what they tell you, the way I used it, it tells you whether or not someone's going to need support in writing. You know, if you see all sorts of red flags grammatically, okay, that's someone that we can do a better job uh, helping them get up to speed in college writing. It's not going to, I can only think of a couple times where it really affected their decision. And that was because of giant red flags of legal issues. Um, you know, that's something that let's have some more conversations then. You know, let's get to know the student better. You know, that's, it's not something that people are saying, oh, you know, we have, we, we ran this essay through, through our calculator and it, it predicts the student will enroll at a 75%. That's not how qualitative works. It adds information. It helps you get to know the student. Um, that, that's my soapbox. I'll, I'll put that away now. But I think that's the big thing. You have to, there, there has to be this fight against the misinformation. I mean, the colleges were, were always very, hey, let's sit back. Let's be friendly. No, you got to push back against some things like this. If people are out there telling students you have to still submit test scores, that's, that's a blatant lie if you are test optional or test blind, which the majority of colleges are. So that's super, super interesting. But I, I also want to circle back on the price point, right? So I believe you said, and, and correct me if I'm misquoting you here, that once you get to sort of like the 40K sticker price uh, threshold, the majority of respondents say that they would not reply, would not apply to, to that institution. Um, would not consider it. Would not consider, yeah, would not consider application. Um, and is, is that just because this, this generation is a little bit more uh, debt averse because of, of 
their parents, older siblings, et cetera. Like any any sort of extrapolation as to what is is particularly going on there? Is it because uh, higher education as as a brand is a little bit more scrutinized in terms of its value proposition and you know the the ROI of a higher education? Um, um, of going to, to college or university at all, or what do you, what do you think is happening there? Yeah, there, there's multiple things going on. I know um, the one I'll start with is actually a quote from one of our our COVID uh, response surveys last year that is like a punch in the gut that that stuck with me. Uh, the student said this was April May last year uh, that when they responded in the prior week, every adult in their family had lost their job. Mm. That's not my parents lost their job. That's every adult. So aunts, uncles, grandparents in one week time frame. That that kind of disruption uh, is is incredible. I mean, what are we what are we doing to help support these students? Um, you know, I think that 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 makes you very that I mean, people are losing houses, people are having to do anything they can to, to keep up with payments on things. Okay, if that's the experience that they've had, uh, how is that going to affect their spending on something like this, on college? I think part of it too is that college is priced so differently than anything else. Yeah, You would yeah. never go into a restaurant, see a sandwich priced at $10 and expect the final check to be $5. I mean, what you see is what you pay typically. Yeah. But we, there's so many things that you have to wait until you get financial aid package. Well, when's that? At some schools, that's not until April or May. Uh, for for a lot of colleges now, it's November, December. But you know, if you have to wait until April or May of your senior year to finally make your decision, okay, I'm going to rely much more on what I'm being told up front because I don't want to wait that long. You know, I want to make a decision, move on, enjoy my senior year. Um, yeah, I think there too, we get into the misinformation about debt. You keep seeing headlines about a hundred thousand in debt. Well, that's a couple things. That's when they're including grad students, you know, a doctor is going to have a lot of debt. Okay. Don't include that in undergraduate debt. Mm. Uh, very, it's less than 1% of students have that kind of debt. I mean, the average is 26,000, 28,000, something like that. I'd have to look at what the latest number is. It's, that for what you're getting, if you're taking advantage of the opportunities, is very reasonable. I mean, to me, there, there's two mindsets of students. There's the, I'm going to go through this so I can get the piece of paper and check something off my list and don't do any research, don't do any internships, don't take advantage of what they could be doing. And then there's the ones who really dive in and they're gaining all these great experiences. They're preparing and they're, they're going to go out and do great things, you know, regardless of what institution they're going to, regardless of what they pay, if you invest in it yourself, it will invest in you. Um, and I think that you have to have that mindset. So that's the second soapbox I'll kick away. <laughs> I love, I love Will on a soapbox. Um, always, always wonderful insight. So I got a couple final questions for you and I want to kick it over to Jeremy and Jeremy in light of this, this survey and specifically the, the survey results, what are a couple of pivots that you think admissions folks should make in light of these findings? Yeah, and I'll, I'll start just listening to Will talk and I agree 100% with everything you know he said. You mentioned value proposition, Zach. Let me give some context because I think this will hopefully be helpful for a lot of your listeners. There are a lot of college admissions professionals 
who don't understand completely what their own college's value proposition is. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, but it's, but it's, but it's reality, right? That's issue number one. The bigger issue though, is not every college, but so many colleges and universities make generalized statements throughout this entire process about what they offer, right? We have a welcoming community. We have professors who care. We have, what does that mean to a 17 year old when they hear it over and over and over again? How do you differentiate to Will's point on cost? Well, this school's worth $4,000 more a year, right? If they make the same, you know, generalized ROI statements, 97% of our graduates are employed or continuing their education within six months. No student chooses a school because they were 97 and school B was 95%. It's just not how it works. Oh, that 2% has got to make a huge, no. And so colleges have to, and this is one of the things I talk about in trainings and, and hopefully will be helpful for your listeners. You can't, it's not helpful for students and families if you can't verbalize how you're different and why you're better. Mm. Colleges don't do that well. And then people are like, well, how do I do that? Well, there's a bunch of different ways, but the biggest way to do it is storytelling, right? And showing examples that are concrete of your current students, your former students, your alums, your faculty, anybody else who's going to be part of this equation. You know, I say this all the time. You know what your brand is? Your brand is your students, your faculty, and everybody who's ever associated with that. That's your brand. Well, if your brand's going to deliver this ROI, you've got to show how that happens. And it's not by making blanket statements. And so that's my quick soapbox on top of Will's soapbox. But this is something I know colleges have to do better. And it starts with, again, personalization and connecting the dots is the phrase I like to use. And so that's another takeaway I hope your listeners can do. When you're talking about different parts of what makes your school what it is, your academic environment, your location, right? Affordability, your dorms and campus, like whatever it is, connect the dots in a personal way, meaning you're going to say something a little differently to a student that's at the start of their process than a student who's been admitted or who has already applied. And what most colleges aren't doing is they're not differentiating and segmenting in their enrollment messaging. They're just sending it to everybody the same way. It's not going to resonate the same with a student that now has to make a decision versus a student who hasn't even decided if they're going to apply yet. And so it's trying to make your messaging more personal and trying to connect to the reader. Here's why, for example, students are choosing to come here, students are choosing to pay more students, whatever the case might be. And so personalization is, as I said earlier, a huge one. And it's, it's how you say what you say, right? Do you look and sound? Are you using the same essentially blueprint in all of your messaging that almost every other college is using, right? Which is a bunch of hyperlinks, a bunch of bolding, a bunch of bullet points, seven calls to action, starting with dear, ending with sincerely. I mean, I have so many screenshots on my phone of colleges that are continuing to send out messaging that looks like that. And then I have all of these clients and just people who have, you know, taken the data that people like Will and I share and say, okay, we're going to apply this and they're getting better results. And so that's what Will and I, you know, are advocating for is just take this data and listen to your target audience and make your messaging more personal. And then, you know, the other thing I would add real quick is admissions counselors, when I do trainings, make action points at the end. And I really have them come up with, all right, what has this training helped you understand? I, as an individual, or we, as a collective group, need to talk more, do this more. 
One of, if not the most popular action point in eight years, Zach, is admissions counselors need to be more direct and intentional in the questions they ask students and families in this process. Right, the worst question you can ever ask is, "What questions do you have? What can I help you?" It's too open-ended, <laughs> yeah. And families don't know what you want them to say. And so, if you're going to personalize and be more helpful and understand, why is this student worried about cost? Why is this student right worried about potentially paying more, going far away from home, whatever it might be? Students tell us in surveys, "It's okay. You can ask me a direct question, especially if it's clear you care and you're trying to help me." And so admissions counselors tell me when they, when that light switch goes on in their brain, Zach, and they're like, oh my gosh, if I'm just more direct and I ask in an empathetic way, what I want to know, and the student feels like they can trust me, they'll tell me all I want to know and probably more. And so being more direct and intentional with your questions is, is something that's super easy to do and gets immediate better ROI. Yeah. It seems based off of what you're saying and to circle back with, uh, to what Will was saying, based off of these sort of like four personas that have emerged from the survey, it'd be a helpful exercise for folks to look at their junior pipeline and be able to see how, how could we go about figuring out who falls into the optimist, the prepared, the stressed and, and the concerned categories and how might we want to tailor our communication sequences differently based off of where we believe these, these juniors to be. That seems like it would be a really helpful kind of practical exercise and takeaway from, from the survey. Will, a couple of just last minute thoughts uh, on how folks, especially those who are, are marketers and you know, they're, Enrollment marketers, they're working with folks in admissions, um, but might have additional responsibilities. How should marketers think about taking these survey insights and applying them in a context that that makes sense um, for you know their area of expertise and area of responsibilities? Yeah, I think one of the big things, uh, and there's been more of a shift. It's it's finally sped some things up, but more digital. You know, shifting some of this travel budget. Uh, one of the things I've, I've been looking at, we do a enrollment funnel analyses, and I was surprised at the inefficiency of, of travel, of college fairs, everything before all this even. Um, that's something that, you know, students are perhaps going to be going to fewer college fairs now that they can, they've, they've gotten used to doing the virtual, they've been, gotten used to all of this experience. Maybe they don't, they don't see the need to go sit in the gym for an hour and walk around to booths and uh, feel awkward. Mm -hmm. So that's something that shifting some budget there, doing some testing. One of the nice things you can do with digital marketing is providing more relevance. Uh, we talked about personalization a lot. I, I'm shifting a little bit. And if, if I can flip it and, and put on my interviewer hat and ask you, Zach, if I say something is personalized, what does that mean to you? Typically, it means that it in the context of what we're talking about, you've got some personalization tokens in your email conflows. My first name, maybe my program of interest. If it's a grad program, maybe it's a, I said I was interested in playing soccer. So you've got that little personalization token in. Um, and personalization to me is much more general um, than I think it's intended to actually be. Yeah, I think a lot of people it's, oh, we have your your name in there or, hey, we're visiting, insert high school name here. Yep. yep. Uh, what about relevance, though? I say this is relevant to you. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, relevancy is is like how Amazon treats me, right? Or it's it's basically somebody who can understand what are the things that Zach actually cares about that he views? What is the type of content that he like? He pref what is the format of content that he prefers to consume information in? And then tailoring their messaging strategies accordingly. If I watch videos at a higher rate than I open emails, send me more videos. 
Yeah, and I would say in this context, it's we're providing the right support at the right time and the right way for the right student. You know, it's not, it, it's going beyond saying, hey, we know your name. Hey, look at us. This looks like it was sent from our actual email. It's providing them exactly what they want. And, and that takes time to set up and you just continually optimize. You continually work on it. Uh, so that, that has to be a big part of it. Uh, I think better messaging of the testing policy, policies mm. and just over and over again, reminding students, hey, you might hear that you still have to take tests, you know, X, Y, and Z in order to be admitted. We are test optional. We are test blind. That is not true. If you want to send it, great. It counts towards 2%, 5%, you know, whatever of your admissions decision. If you do, otherwise we don't care. It's fine. Uh, I think, and transparency into that decision. Yeah. So whether that's providing short videos, whether that's providing just some more information about here's how we actually sit down and here's what we look at. Maybe it's you have a short video of here's a sample application. Here's the way we go through it. Here's the things we look at. I think there's always a little bit of, of concern about that level of transparency because people are always going to want to game the system and, and make themselves look better than they are. That happens now, though. I mean, you see all these services for essay writing and, and people are charging thousands of dollars to help optimize your application for acceptance. That's already happening. So let's just be transparent and show them exactly how you look at it. Um, and then I think continuing to offer virtual as part of a two-pronged strategy. Yeah. And we've got a lot more interest in getting further from home. Students are used to it. We've invested in virtual. Let's keep doing that. Don't just ditch it or don't just go back to offering bad virtual. Uh, I want to see colleges using virtual to supplement their in-person, whether that's live streaming something that's already happening in person, along with having some virtual engagement tools. So maybe you have uh, a texting app or something, maybe you're using Telegram during the event so that the virtual attendees can engage with the people who are there and the speakers all at the same time. There's a lot of things you can do that would be really cool, whether that's, you know, hey, we have uh, we have Snapchat filters that we use during this. I know students are moving away from Snapchat, but first one that popped into my mind. Uh, I mean, there, there's, there's lots of ways you can gauge in real time all together, both online and in person. Let's get creative and see what we can do. Yeah, no, I love those ideas. And um, I appreciate you both coming on and sharing these insights with us. Super thankful that you guys are doing this work um, and, and bringing it to, to the masses. I think that this is super valuable information for anyone working in admissions or marketing that is you know, questioning, yeah, how do we most effectively engage with, you know, you know, juniors right now? How are these trends going to be uh, indicative of how the enrollment process, how uh, the student recruitment process holistically has changed and will probably never be the same? And, you know, how do we, you know, not just go back to all the same things that we were doing previously and really use this as, as a moment to continue to pause and reflect and think, okay, where do we want to spend our limited resources? How do we want to help better, you know, uh, define our unique value proposition? And ultimately, at the end of the day, how do we better serve institution, uh, institutions? How do we better serve students as institutions? Um, and I think that that's the, that's the million-dollar question for higher ed right now. So appreciate the work that both of you guys do. Thanks for coming on. Um, if folks want to get in touch with either of you, we will drop your uh, LinkedIn, your Twitter, and your uh, email addresses, if that's cool, in the show notes, as long as link, uh, as well as links to uh, your your respective websites. Anything else you wanna you wanna share uh, for how folks can best get in touch with you? 
Covered all the bases. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Great. I think we, we hit everything there. <laughs> all good. Yeah. Telegrams, smoke signals, you yeah, know, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah. Yeah. Billboards. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. Well, thank you both for, for your time and uh, hope to chat again soon. Yeah. Hey, have a great day. Stay safe out there. Take Appreciate care. it, Zach. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.